Welcome back, Richard. It's good to see you. Good morning. Must be Sunday morning. Must be Sunday morning because here we are on the screen together. (laughs) (laughs) We should write a little song. We can can write a tune. Put this to music. That's right. Today we're. What are you doing today? You doing all right? I'm doing okay. Uh, Happy Mother's Day, by the way. It is It is Mother's Day today. Um, Right. And and in light of Mother's Day, we're going to talk about some of the challenges. Uh, that a lot of mothers and a lot of parents, um, a lot of schools and teachers are experiencing um, these days as a result. Well, it, we're going to say in part, at least, that it's a result of, of COVID. Um, but it's, a, it's been an emerging issue that has been, my gosh, uh, percolating for, for a long time now. Um, but it just, I, I think the last couple of years, it has really accelerated in, in uh, b- becoming such a big problem. And uh, with our kids today, just as far as what what is going on at home and at school and in the community and everywhere. Yeah, this is another one of those things that was brought into stark relief by the pandemic. Um, it, it was, as you say, it was percolating in the background long before the spring of 2020. But the pandemic really brought it into stark relief. And another one of those things that, um, that happened uh, during the pandemic. Right. And... It be, the, we, know, we all have heard about the long-term mental health effects of COVID-19. Right. Um, there's uh, the grief and loss of, you know, we forget that a million people died of this. Thing. <laughs> remember, right. remember you, um, it wasn't long ago when we were saying, well, you know, more people have died of COVID than, than died in World War II. Well, that was only 400,000. You know, now we're, we're over a million. And so there are... Um, many millions who are still grieving the loss of loved ones. Um, There's a lingering anxiety and depression that we always hear about, you know, people who had COVID um, either because of the, because of the infection or because of the uh, disruption to their lives are increased rates of anxiety and depression, drug and alcohol use soared, um, death by, uh, you know, drug, drug overdoses soared. And people talk about a brain fog, you know, that, that they have, and also there was an article published last week. There was a, uh, a big study done of uh, teenage of kids and there are actually brain changes um, and um, that, that having the disorder, having the infection causes the brain to increase as if you had lived 20 years. Right. It, it, it's like it had a 20 year effect on your brain. All that research still has to be done, but we know, we know we've heard about these changes, the emotional changes and uh, sleep disturbance, you know, is another one. So we, we've heard about all these effects. Well, if you have, a, if you have children, there's, a, there's one more that was added to that list. And that is the disruption that the pandemic had on kids' education. And we remember schools closed and on the failure of online uh, schooling and the disruptions that the quarantines caused. Um, and so what happened was it, it, there were three ways that education was affected. One was a gap in skill acquisition. And, and we all, we've all been in school and we know the effect that missing a couple days has. If you miss those skills, you don't go back and reteach them, okay? If, you, if you're not there, the curriculum keeps going. So if you had algebra one in the ninth grade and you missed the last nine weeks of school, you're into another class as a 10th grader, no one's gonna go back and reteach those skills. 
So at every grade level, there are some skills that were missed. Okay. Right. The other thing that happened was a worsening of pre-existing conditions. So if you had a learning disability or you needed special services, if you weren't in school, you weren't getting those. And so there was actually a loss of progress. Okay. And those conditions got worse. But the one we're hearing about is the third one. And that is that there seems to have been a loss of momentum and motivation. And that's the one that we want to talk about this morning, because that's the one that teachers are hearing about it. Parents are struggling with it. And and so we wanted to address that issue today, the loss of momentum and motivation. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think as we look at pulling these things together, I I think that this year we're really going to uh, recognize um, and, and come to full realization of, of some of these uh, consequences because, um, you know, it was just announced over the past couple of weeks that uh, that high stakes standardized state testing is going to count this year. So um, so schools will, you know, school grades will be published. Um, and despite all of the problems and issues related to it, um, you know, F, uh, here in Florida, the Florida uh, standards assessment uh, results are going to be used to determine uh, retention and promotion for certain students, especially third graders. Um, and, you know, when we as we look at those numbers and, you know, there's all kinds of um, calculations for estimating how many students are going to do, how students are going to do and how many students are going to be able to proceed and be held back. Um, there, there is a lot of concern that there's going to be a huge number of third graders that are going to be held back mm-hmm. as a result of some of these test scores and, you know, difficulty promotion, in part because of the skills gap, but it also in part because of this momentum and motivation um, loss that we were going to talk about today. Right. Uh, it, it's, it's very concerning. And you know, we just don't know what we're going to do because we're going to end up having you know, twice as many third grade classrooms as any other classroom in, in, you know, in the school. And if you're in a charter or a magnet school, your place is in your grade. And so you can't just repeat a grade in many, in any magnet or charter school, because there isn't a place for you in to repeat third grade. Um, Your, your place is with your class. And so if you, if you, if you aren't promoted, then you're, you're probably gonna have to drop out. You're probably gonna have to change schools. Right. right. And then there are gonna be lawsuits. Parents are gonna argue, wait a minute, my child was in quarantine for you know, a month this year. Um, that, should, you know, that shouldn't be held against, um, shouldn't be held against her. Absolutely. And so all kinds of problems, because again, everybody assumes that schools are back to normal. Right. Well, they're not back to normal. And this loss of momentum and motivation is yet one more reason why right. they're not back to normal. Yeah. And so, you know, you, as we've said before, you know, you, you talk to teachers or you talk to anyone in the school system and, and they, will, they, they often say, you know, this has been one of the most challenging school years ever. Right. Um, and, and one of the things that they say is that it's almost like kids forgot to, how to go to school. And in many ways, they have. In a very real sense, they have. Right. Yeah. Because they, you know, they, they miss so much. And it, it's, I think that the challenge and the criticism that a lot of people will have is that, well, look, you know, that, that last quarter that they missed, that was two years ago. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, and then the next year, of course, was, was just 
scattered and splintered because you were people were out and then they were back and then they were out and then they were back and you know a lot of that going on that whole school year but this past year you know this year for the most part everybody's been at school relatively full time and so i think a lot of people will try to criticize and say well look we've been back to school for a whole year now how is that the case well it, it's still the case because that's the way that the students are presenting you know it, it, it's Yes, we've been back, but it's, you know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of things happening in the schools that are outside of everybody's control. Um, And it's creating this situation where it is it it has been really difficult to get kids reacclimated back to full time school. That's right. And what you hear from teachers is is the same phrase is that kids have forgotten how to go to school. Right. They, They all the momentum and rhythms that you have in the, in a school year, you know, you have summer vacation and then you go back to school and then you have the holidays and you go back to school and then you have spring break. There's a rhythm to all that. And that rhythm was disrupted. So the, the changes, the effects were not only on the academics, but they were on the procedures, the rhythms of the school year. And many, many kids lost momentum. Right. And what happened was, for example, uh, having a regular sl- sleep schedule, Right. Okay. That was all disrupted during the pandemic. Kids slept during the day. They were mm-hmm. up late at night because they didn't have to go to school the next morning. Right. So sleep schedules were interrupted. Daily rhythms were interrupted. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you get used to the school year and you get back in harness and, you know, this is homework. So, so you go to school and you come home. This is homework time. This is meal time. This is bedtime. All that was interrupted. All those daily rhythms were interrupted. Um, doing your assignments, doing your homework. That was all changed uh, during the pandemic. And so kids stopped doing assignments and many kids stopped turning them in. They, they, they would wait until the end of a grading period. All right? And then they, they just flood the teacher with all these missed assignments. One of, the, one of the recurring problems, and I'm sure this is true in your practice too, is parents come in and say that she's not doing her assignments or she does them and she doesn't turn them in. Or I checked the grade, the, the parent portal, and she has five missing assignments and you know there's three days left in the grading period. Right. So that that's a change that 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 happened well, with the pandemic. And the whole idea of classroom decorum, how do you act in class? Right. You know, kids were kids were off. We talk about summer slide. That's only about eight or nine weeks. Right. These kids were off for nine weeks and then summer vacation and then stop and start at the next school year. Right. So they were, they forgot how to act in the classroom because right. it had been so long. And, you know, s- schools are different than homes. Kids could, during the pandemic, kids stayed in their pajamas all day. They stayed in their rooms. They stayed on their computers. Um, and so they did, they very, in a very real sense, they did uh, forget how to go to school. Right. And, and, and parents see this as well. You know, they, they see the missing assignments. They see the late assignments. They, they see that kids aren't doing some of these things. And um, I, I think that, as we will discuss, you know, this is sort of where I, I think that, you know, we recognize some of these issues, right? Some of these issues that you were just talking about. And, and in, a, in a real sense and appropriate sense to some extent, we started working to, you know, help provide a safety net for the students. Right. right? right. We, we said, uh, you know, don't just get the assignment in. It's okay if it's late. You know, just just right. get it in. And um, 
Uh, it's okay. Instead of doing, you know, all of this work, we will cut it back and we will only do portions of it. So accommodations were made because of all of these issues over the past year and a half or so. And, and I, I think that in a real way that has exacerbated the problem. Yes. Because now students, I mean, students don't know what to do. They, they don't know how to accept the consequences of things because there, there are no real consequences. One of my middle, one of my schools, for example, um, you know, they offer Saturday school now for students to, to rescue their grades. So if their grades are really poor, they can come in on Saturday. Um, a, a few, it's a, a few Saturdays just before the end of the grading period, of course, mm-hmm. um, to come in and make up work. And so they have the teachers coming in and, 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 and I think on the surface, that's great. But that also means that for the seven weeks before that, you know, it's okay if you get work done because you're going to be able to do the Saturday thing. And, you know, I don't mind going into Saturday for three hours or something mm-hmm. to, to make up all of this. And so, hey, it's a C. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas before that just would, they wouldn't, that wouldn't have been an option. That's right. That's right. Yeah, because what parents are aware of you know, they became aware of this lack of motivation momentum because of missing assignments and late assignments. And their kids are lying to them. Do you have any homework tonight? I don't have any homework. Nothing's due. I don't have anything. There's no problem. Everything's good. And they have this devil make, the kids had this devil make care attitude. It made me think of, um, you don't remember Mad, do you remember Mad Magazine? Yeah. Alfred E. Newman? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, me worry? You know, I'm, I'm not concerned about anything. And And the kids were displaying this sort of, Newman-esque attitude of well, it's no big deal. We can make it up later. Okay. So, so we said, okay, what's going on here? Well, one is summer slide, but worse. Okay. Because now we have uh, summer side plus, but the kids have this attitude of mom, don't worry about it. nothing bad is going to happen. And, right. and the reason nothing bad is going to happen is, is that we had to make these adjustments. Right. And, and the unintended consequence of having things like grade recovery is kids know that the schools are, are going to do everything they can not to let them fail. Right. So if you don't do your assignments in the course of a nine weeks, you know that at the end, you're going to make up some, someone's going to fix it. Someone's going to rescue you. Okay. That's why the kids aren't worried because they know that eventually somebody's going to read the school will rescue them. And right. Up okay. Right. Which is which is concerning because then what's going to happen? It, there, there's going to be we, we think about like the economic bubble, right? The housing bubble because you know housing prices are so so incredible that um, at some point it's going to pop and you know people who who spent you know five hundred thousand dollars on a two hundred thousand dollar home they're going to be upside down and they're going to have a lot of problems. Well, it's sort of the same thing is going to happen kids keep pushing and pushing and pushing saying nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. And it's going to come a time perhaps this year when um, they say, okay, we're going to go back to the actual consequences of not getting things done. And then we're going to have to deal with, you know, half of third graders being held back. That's right. Um, Or, or, you know, you know, some high schoolers not being able to graduate because they didn't meet some of these requirements. Um, It's going to happen. And students you know, this, it doesn't matter how smart the student is. It's that's a really difficult thing for students to appreciate that. Hey, no, for two years, you haven't done anything. Right. Now all of a sudden you're going to do something about right. it. That's not fair. Parents will say that's not fair. Right. But it's reality. Yeah. 
yeah, the kids have been working on the pandemic rule book. You know, yeah. the, you don't have to turn assignments in. Somebody's going to help you. You'll get the help you need. You'll graduate anyway. No one's going to be held back. So kids are, are using that rule book. All mm -hmm. of a sudden, the state is going to say, oh, we're going back to the old rule book. Mm -hmm. And it's and it's midstream. You know, we're at the end now. Though. Nobody can do anything about it. Yeah. So as parents became aware of this, that their kids had lost momentum, there's this tendency for parents to jump in and get their kids back on track. Right. And that's what we're seeing, that this natural tendency, it's completely normal tendency for parents, jump in, fill the breach, try to fill in the gaps that their kids are not uh, doing anymore, and to get their kids back on track. Okay, right. It reminds me of that song, you know, once, once kids got out of the rhythm of going to school, it made me think of that World War I song, How Do You Keep Them Down on the Farm After They've Seen Gay Paris? It was a popular song, and, and it's true. How do, you, how, do you, how do you get these soldiers back in the harness after they've been after they've seen other parts of the world and, and other kinds of freedoms. So <laughs> why do you want to go back to the farm when you could be in Paris? Um, and so that's it sort of reminded me of what kids are going through. Now, if your children are younger than 12 or 13, you might be able to get them back into harness and impose on them. Okay. Um, because kids at that age, kids in, in elementary school are completely dependent on you. Um, they, many of them don't have cell phones, so, and they can't go anywhere without you. They need, they need for you to drive them, to sign them up, to supervise, to attend. So kids younger than 12 are really captives. They're, they're, they really don't have any option. They have to do what they're told. Um, so if they're younger than that, you might be able to impose on them. Um, even if they run away, they're, you know, kids in elementary school, they run away, but they'll be gone for a few hours. Okay. However, if your kids are 13 or older, that's where we say proceed with caution. And we proceed with caution for two reasons. One is you could make things much worse. Right. Because if you impose on a, on a, on a, some tweeners, but most teenagers, if you start to clamp down on them and you start to smother them with monitoring and punishments, um, you're doing it exactly at the wrong time because you're doing it at the very moment when they're seeking more independence and you now are going to clamp down on them and start monitoring. So you might be able to impose for another year or two, but eventually these efforts are going to fail because if you start punishing them for missing assignments, for being deceptive, they're going to start to rebel. They're going to start to push back because they're teenagers. Right. So, so we, we have sort of um, sort of the dueling banjos, right? The um, on one hand, you have kids really needing you to mm -hmm. clamp down and to and to reorient and, and, and straighten out the, the path. But at the same time, everything it is about them right. is going to resist that moving in the other direction. Right. right. And so, um, and so you're going to get for all of your efforts to, to steer them one direction, their drive is going to be, well, if they want me to go this direction, I'm, I need to go this direction, whether they are fully aware of why they're doing that or not. I mean, that's, that's mm -hmm. just part of adolescence. And yeah, it's just, it's a biological imperative. They're going to start to become more independent, like it or not, they're going to start to become more independent. So if you, if you come crashing in on a, on a kid over, over the age of 13, you're going to meet more resistance. Yeah. Okay? And the other thing that happens is 
in addition to meeting resistance and possibly uh, ruining your relationship, you're going to rob them of what they need the most. Right. They need to be making their own mistakes at this point. You know, you, you have this five-year window from 13 to 18, because they're going to walk out. At 18, they're going to leave. Um, whether they stay in the house or not, they're going to leave. Um, so what, what do we want for our children? Well, we want them to be independent and resilient and motivated and to accomplish things. And, but that takes planning and effort. Um, it's not just going to happen automatically. And so parents, in order to turn children, to turn their kids from children who are dependent on them to adults who can be independent, that takes planning and effort during those teenage years. Right. And to accomplish that, parents have to transition from attachment parenting to detachment parenting. Now right. you have to, it's a different type of parenting. Detachment parenting is a very different kind of parenting from attachment parenting. Right. And that's the adjustment that parents need to make. And you need to make that whether there's a pandemic or not, because biologically kids are gonna go through this, this change and you have to switch to detachment parenting. So be careful of that tendency to say, well, I have to jump in here and, and regain control of this, of this teenager. You, you do that at some risk. Yeah, because you, you, it, as soon as you jump in and you start taking care of everything, you know, we, we've had parents who've come in and said, it, it, it's like I'm living their life for them. It's like mm -hmm. I'm doing, you know, I'm doing everything for them. Um, right. It's not allowing them or affording them the opportunity to build the skills that they need um, to be successful in just a couple of years. They're going to be independent um, and they can say, no, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. And sure, right. you can say, well, if you're not going to do what I do, say, then you can't live under my under my roof. So you're going to let them leave. Go Most of these parents do not allow them to leave. Um, and so then, you know, there's no teeth behind behind the growl. So you have to, um, you have to weigh these things out. And, and like you said, you know, whether there's a pandemic or not, our jobs are as parents are the same. And mm -hmm. our job is to, is to teach them and to give them the skills that they need to be independent and, and to be able to accomplish goals and to be able to be successful, however they define success. That's right. And that's, that's what I mean by detachment parenting. It's a different skill set. Uh, prior to that, you know, with attachment parenting, you need the security and the predictability. Um, right. Attachment parenting shows kids that they're that they're safe, that they're loved, that they're being supported. But after after puberty, after twelve or thirteen, you have to make this shift, okay? Right. Because uh, you have to begin phase two of parenting, which is detachment parenting. Because no matter what you do your kids are going to separate. When they become teenagers, they are going to begin to separate unless you can keep them totally dependent on you. Right. You know, for everything. And no, you're not going to get a cell phone until you do what I say. No, you're not going to drive the car. You're right. not going to have friends over. You can make kids totally dependent on you, but, but then you're denying them of the ability to become independent to take right. care of themselves, okay? And recognize that your attempts to keep them completely dependent on you is going to be, again, who they are who, biologically is going to right. fight that. Mm -hmm. They're going to battle against that because as soon as they have one friend, right. they're going, that friend is going to be much more important than you. That's right. And so 
yes, they're going to separate, but they have to separate safely. Right. And by that, we mean, you know, if you were living, imagine you were living in a, in, <clears throat> you were an Aborigine um, in Australia. Those teenagers also become independent, but they're taught how to become independent safely and how to survive in this environment. Well, we have an environment too. And so no matter what the environment is, there are going to be these dangers out there that once they leave you, mm -hmm. they're going to be exposed to those dangers. And there's nothing you can do about that. Okay? Yeah. You cannot, whether you're, whether you're Aboriginal, you teach, your, you teach the Aboriginal children how to hunt, but eventually they're going to go out on their own and hunt. Right. And they're going to be exposed to those dangers. So you can't continue to protect your children from those dangers. And so, so yes, there are dangers out there, but you have to let them go. They have to confront those. Right. You can do so safely. You can do it in a structured way because that's, that's what you do between 13 and 18 is mm -hmm. you structure the challenges for them, but they must have the challenges. So right. the biggest risk you're going to face as a parent of a teenager is this tendency to overparent. Okay. Right. And what do we mean by overparenting? Yeah. Overparenting is, um, well, it's, it's been called a lot of other things too, right? right? Um, the it's helicopter parenting, it's snowplow parenting, it's right. lawnmower parenting. It, there, there's a lot of different names that we've given for it, but really we're, we're talking about two main things. Right. One is um, over assisting. Yeah. And, and like I said, a minute ago, it, it's, um, you know, when the parents say, well, I feel like I'm living their life for them. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's your kid's homework. They need to be responsible for their homework. You, you right. don't need to be doing their homework for them. Right. Um, I, I recognize that, um, well, they have to have a 4.0 if they want to get into, you know, that university or that college or whatever. Right. But if you're doing their homework for them in, a, in an effort for them to get to college, then they're not ready for that college. That's, that's because right. who's going to do their homework for them in college? Exactly. So, so it's, we have, I think parents are coming from, from this, from good places, you know, they have good intentions, but, mm -hmm. but really they're, they're depriving their, their kid and they're, they're making things inevitably more difficult for their kids because right. they're doing too much for them. Yeah. We understand why we understand the temptation of doing your kid's homework and, and many parents do it. But the biggest problem is number one, they're not going to, they, they don't have that skill, obviously. Okay. Or um, they don't have the motivation to do it. Well, either one is a problem. But if you do it for them, then you're denying them the opportunity of learning this skill, of, of, of being able to handle this. And handling it might be going to the teacher the next morning and say, I didn't do it, you know, and facing the consequences. That's an important life skill that kids should learn. Yeah. Absolutely. The, the second thing that is, um, you know, characteristic of overparenting is um, being extremely responsive. Now, again, completely understand, um, you know, because when you're being responsive, you, you're showing affection, and you're showing love and care, and you're giving them praise, and you're encouraging them and all those really right. positive, great, amazing mm -hmm. things. But it can also take a very maladaptive form, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, there, there are parents who believe everything that their kids say. So you can have five adults saying, no, this is what happened. Mm -hmm. But if their kid's saying, no, this, I didn't do that. Right. The right. parents right there and they're fighting for them. And, and instead of 
putting them in a situation where they have to accept consequences for something that they may have done right. are rescuing and saving for mm-hmm. every, every little offense. And right. that's a problem because right. there are consequences to your actions. Yeah. And, and it may be, you know, this happens frequently where kids will come home and the teacher said, this is what she did today. You know, she, she made this mistake and the child will say, oh, no, it wasn't my fault. It was somebody else's fault. Well, we're not advocating that you punish your child based on what the teachers said. You know, you, if you choose not to, that's okay. What you do want to avoid is in any way giving the child some sense that you believe them and not the teacher because you're calling the teacher a liar and you don't want to put your you don't want to ever put a kid in that situation. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, no, that's because that's a, that's a fantastic example. And so you the teacher says, well, this happened and your kids say, no, I didn't do that. Susie did that. Okay. Right. And so you, instead of saying, Oh, well, you know, the teacher must be wrong. I'll talk to the teacher right. tomorrow and make sure. Yeah. Say, well, you know what? It sounds like the teacher thought that you did it. And so maybe it would be good for you to talk to the teacher tomorrow and just clear things up. Go take care of your own problems. And you can do that if if it's a second grader, if it's a third grader, you you can do that even with young elementary school age kids. That's right. Work it out with the teacher. Absolutely. Work it out with the teacher. I'm not going to rescue you. That's between you and your teacher. And, um, you know, we have to be supportive. Right. Okay. And parents will do that, do this with the, under the guise of, well, you know what, I want to increase their mm-hmm. self-esteem, um, you know, I, I, because I want them to know that I believe them and, you know, I, I do their homework for them because I want to, you know, I want their grades to be really good so it can boost their self-esteem. And so they're, they're trying to increase self-esteem by increasing performance. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and it should be the other way around. That's right. You <laughs> increase their performance so that they build their own self-esteem. That's right. You cannot, you can't increase performance simply by improving a child's self-esteem. Okay. Right. Self-esteem comes from performance. Right. Motivation comes from achievement. How many times have we said that? Absolutely. You, you, you don't, and many parents think that if they build self-esteem, they're going to get better performance. Not never happens. Okay. Right. It's not going to happen. Right. Now with older kids, with teenagers, the maladaptive form of being extremely responsive is when parents decide that they have to track and monitor and control their teenager. You know, I'm gonna put a tracker on the car, I'm gonna have Life360, I'm gonna monitor their grades, and I'm gonna be standing over them every step of the way. That's another way of being extremely responsive, but in a negative way. Instead of building self-esteem, you're you're trying to regain control of this teenager. It is not going to work, okay? It does just, it's as maladaptive, it's just as, as destructive to their self-esteem and independence as, as, um, as just letting them go, as, as too right. much praise. Right. So, because believe us when we say that if, if your kid does something as a senior in high school, or as a junior or senior in high school, mm-hmm. that is going to completely ruin their opportunity to go to college, right. they probably shouldn't have gone to be going to that college anyways. Exactly. Because they're not ready for it. They don't have the skills to make those decisions that they need to be right. making. Right. Um, either right. they haven't learned them yet or they, uh, or, or whatever, they just had themselves in a bad situation, but they have to deal with that. That's right. their consequence. That's their, that's, that's what they have to work through. And, and they will have to find another path to get to where they want to get. If that's, right. that's the case. And there's always another path. There's always, always another way, you know, going, get, going to college and doing it that what many people think is a traditional way. 
um, is not the only way. It right. is one way. So these two things, this being over-assisting and being too responsive, whether it's positive or negative, um, slow, they actually slow the growth and the development of resi resilience and self-reliance and self-confidence, making it even, you actually make it more difficult them, for them um, to cope on their own. So right. um, many parents will try to, you know, intervene, you know, why isn't my child more popular, more athletic and all the, all these questions that they ask. Um, and so, but, but you have to contain this urge to jump in right. and to rescue or to over control. Okay. Right. And so what happened during the pandemic is that kids lost momentum and motivation and parents have this natural to, as parents to jump in and and somehow scramble around to get them caught up and back on track okay right. and this is where we say let's proceed with caution okay right. be very careful and this is because this is where the that switching from attachment to detachment yeah. is important you know for when when you have a baby in those early years everything about the child is built around the parents. So babies yeah. are reinforced and um, encouraged simply by the sound of their parents' voice, especially their mother's voice. Um, th there are, you know, a baby, an infant, a newborn can recognize her, her, her mother's voice out of everyone else's voice in the room. They, they can recognize that and there's changes that happen in the baby's biology right. acutely when, when, when they hear their mother's voice. But by the time a, a kid reaches puberty, all of that changes. <laughs> and parents, parents are aware of that, okay? And, and they know that, wow, something happened here. My kid who, you know, was really close and wanted to do everything with me suddenly wants nothing to do with me. Yeah. She, he, she doesn't tell me anything anymore. She doesn't talk to me. She stays in her room all the time. Right. Yeah, well, we have some good news and some bad news for you. The good news is there's, there are biological explanations for why kids make this departure, okay? That's the good, is that the good news? Yeah, that's okay. biological. The bad news is you can't do anything about it. Right. So, and there was a study done recently, <clears throat> absolutely fascinating study. Um, it involved uh, the study of 46 kids between the ages of seven and 16. And the researchers used functional magnetic resonance imaging to study brain activity while listening to a mother's voice and then listening to a stranger's voice. Mm -hmm. Now, what the fMRI showed was brain activity. Right. What the researchers learned is that in young children, their brains responded to their mother's voices more than the stranger's voices. After age 13, it was just the opposite. Right. That a teenager's brain, after age 13, teenagers' brains responded more, the brain responded more to strangers' voices than to the mother's voice. Right. And we think that from a biological perspective, the brain responds to the caretaker in, in young children. Where's, my, where's the food? Where's my shelter? Where's my support? Where's my system? You know, babies become attuned to their mother's voices while they're in the womb. Okay, that's when they learn this right. voice is different. And so for young children, they respond to the person who is caring for them. Right. But what happens at 13 is that 
now they're interested in others. Now they're interested in, they become novelty seeking. We talk about teenagers being novelty seeking and risk taking, okay? Then they wanna hear strangers' voices. Now, what is this stranger telling me? And how many times have parents said, well, she talks to her friends more than she talks to me. Right. There's a biological reason for that to happen. It's right. not anything to do with your parenting, nothing to do with you as a person. This right. is part of their, it's part of normal maturation. Right. And, and that was a small study, but there's, there needs to be more studies. But this right. is, it's interesting that it fits very naturally with what parents say already. It's like, right. it's like she can't even hear me. It's like she doesn't even hear what I'm saying. Um, she and so it's not, it's not that there's no, it's not that they can't hear you. It's that mm-hmm. their, their attention isn't pulled to you um, as quickly as it may be pulled to someone else. Right. So mm-hmm. voice is very important. Um, you know, it, it, so we need to be talking um, to our kids a lot when they're younger, building and instilling those, those skills and that understanding, right. but recognizing that that's going to diminish as they become teenagers. And so we have to communicate with them a little bit differently Mm -hmm. as teenagers we have to think about how we're communicating with them quite different Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right and so at the end of this so so now that we know this now that we know that it's a normal it's a normal part of growing up that because because the auditory system is connected not just to hearing and understanding language it's also connected to your emotional the emotional parts of your brain especially the reward system so in young children the reward system is activated by the caretaker. In older children, the reward system is activated by the possibility that this stranger may be bringing something more into your life, okay? I wanna go out and see the world. Well, the world is with strangers, okay? Right. Or, or non-family members. Right. And so it's, it's a normal part of, of maturation. Now, if you are the parent of a teenager, what can you do about this? Okay, well, how should you manage this part of detachment parenting, okay? Well, obviously, so so this article gives um, several tips for communicating better. Number one, listen. Right. When your kids are talking, listen to them, okay? Right. Listen to what they're saying, understand what they're saying. Okay? Right, yeah, parents so often feel like they have to throw in their opinions or their thoughts or their mm-hmm. their, their redirections or their mm-hmm. chastisements or, or whatever the case may be, but oftentimes, um, kids just need you to listen, especially right. just need you to listen. Um, you know, they won't talk to you anymore. Well, that's because you don't stop talking to them. <laughs> you don't listen to them enough for them to even want to talk to you. That's right. Uh, their friends are listening to them. The right. difference is their friends will listen to them for hours and hours and hours and hours. Okay, well, the They'll sit around and talk for hours and they'll listen to each other. And as parents, we don't listen. The, the friends are listening to them and their friends, the, the second thing is, will we'll validate their feelings. That's right. That's like, right. Oh, I, I hear you. I, I, I don't blame you. Know, your mom that sounds way. really mad. Yeah, your dad sounds really mean. You know, yeah. all those feelings that they're having are being validated. Yeah. Do you, do you validate your children's feelings? Right. Right. You know? the, the third thing is showing, and it's something we have, again, talked about before on the podcast, and that is, you know, you, you have to, you have to create a situation so that you show your kid that you trust them. Right. Um, yes, they're going to make bad decisions. Yes, they're going to, to make errors and have get, get into problems and troubles and things right. like that. But you have to allow them to know that you trust them. Um, and, and you go back to the starting, the starting line again and put that risk out there and so that you can trust them. That's right. If you 
if you are tracking your child's vehicle, tracking their phone, put them on Life 360, um, that that shows that you don't trust them. Right. All those things. I know you're doing it for safety reasons, but all those things also send the message that I don't trust you. Now, if you have a teenager who has shown that you can't trust her, right? She's sneaking out. She's you know unaccounted for. She's missing classes. If you have a teenager who has demonstrated that you can't trust her, then you may have to impose some on her. But most kids aren't doing that. Right. That, that there's most kids can be trusted. Are they going to make mistakes? Yes. Are they going to lie once in a while? Probably. But that's part of the process. Okay. But but if you if you monitor and track too closely, the other message is I don't trust you. And if you that's not a message that you want to send to your kids. Right. Yeah. And, and even those kids that have shown you that it's difficult to trust them, mm-hmm. you still have to very quickly get back to the point of trying to show them that you can, yeah, you're trying to trust them. Give them um, a chance to rebuild it. Mm-hmm. Right. So in that sense, you know, you, you can't be, you can't always be the director, right? That's the next right. thing on the list. You, you can't dictate every single thing that they do um, because that too shows that you don't trust them. Right? Well, I can't trust that you're going to make this decision, right? So I'm going to tell you what you're going to do next and where you're going. Okay. Right. So you, so you can't dictate all the, because with older teenagers, you're not going to make all the decisions. Whether you think you are or not, you're not going to. You have to give praise, but you have to be careful with praise. You don't want to overdo praise. On the other hand, you have to acknowledge the progress that they are making. And kids are going to make progress. The brain matures through adolescence. The 18-year-old brain, very different from the 13-year-old brain. Kids are going to make progress, and you have to acknowledge their progress. Right. And, and going along with giving praise is just controlling your emotions. Yeah. You, you don't want to go overboard with praise, but you don't, you also got to make sure you don't go overboard with, with constant, with negative uh, reactions to things. So you, you have to work really hard to control your emotions. You're, you're trying to get your teenager to control their emotions. So you have to control yours. Right. Right. And uh, try to do things together. Um, you know, kids, even though I always used to say the kids have two hands with one hand, they push you away, and the other hand, they pull you to them, okay? So yes, they, they're gonna do both. And every time you have a chance to spend time with your teenager, take it, do it, because they do wanna be with you. Right. And you have to initiate some of this. They may say, no, honey, do you wanna go out and do that? No, I don't want to. But I'll bet if you say, hey, do you wanna go out and get a manicure and a pedicure today? Most kids are gonna be okay with that. Other kids may wanna go shopping at a consignment store. Um, other kids want to go fishing. Depending on your child, um, figure out ways that you can spend time together. Yeah. And one of those things could just be re- having regular meals together, um, doing things at the home together when you're all already there. Um, right. You know, being 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 mindful and, and understanding of their time and what, what they're trying to do. But, you know, trying to have those kinds of regular opportunities at, at home. Um, and part of that just comes from sort of the last thing on the list is being observant. You know, okay. see what your kid is doing. Um, see where he's going, understand what she, what she's doing, you know, learn what your kid um, is into so that you can understand it and you can learn it as well. And so you can connect with them in that way. Right. Yeah. You know, we talk about sharing regular meals Um, in every culture. Mealtime is a special time. I mean, there's a reason why we have these formal dinners and people get together for lunch and they have business, business lunches and it, it, it culturally, Um, sharing a meal together is an important thing in every culture. Um, 
and during the pandemic, uh, some of that some of that togetherness may have fallen apart. But teenagers, when they were little kids, little baby, you watch little kids, uh, toddlers, they'll go out and play with their friends, but every once in a while they come back to the mother and just kind of renew the relationship. They want to make sure mom's still here, that, that you're still here, you're still watching, you still care about me. And you have to come up with ways to regenerate your relationship. And one of the easiest ways in teenagers is to use mealtime as a, as a time to be together. It's a, it's a legitimate, everybody has to eat, okay? So it's a legitimate time to be together. And so we encourage families to share regular meals. It doesn't have to be dinner. It could be breakfast, lunch, or dinner. It doesn't matter. But it's a good time for parents and teenagers to be together in a natural setting, not an artificial setting. Right. You have to eat anyway. Eat together. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, th- th- there's this list of things um, uh, that, that you can do with your teenagers, all these things that we're talking about from the um, from listening to, to giving praise and, again, being observant, watching your kid and, and just understanding their rhythms and their, their, their natural tendencies and who they're spending time with and what they're doing. Um, all those things are important. You know, being able to talk to your kid about what they're into, um, being able to understand your, your kid's motivations, you know, what they seem to be driven for. Um, you know, those are all things to be, that are really important when you're trying to keep this connection while at the same time giving them the space that they need to, to develop that independence and everything that they need um, right. before they leave the home. Yeah, one of the, you know, and one of the most difficult things is to validate their feelings. You know, parents really struggle with that because as long as your children's feelings are consonant, consistent with yours, it's easy to do. Yeah. But as soon as, as soon as your children present something that is that 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 isn't consistent with the parent, for example, um, parents are carnivores, and the child says, "I'm going to be a vegetarian." Um, you have to validate that. Right. Okay? Um, you have to validate that. I don't want to go to college. You know, what if your child comes to you and says, mom, I, I just don't want to go to college. What do you do about that? Okay. Right. Well, you, have, you have to begin by validating that feeling. Okay. Right. You have to listen and you have to validate their feelings because if you don't, they're going to go elsewhere. Absolutely. They're going to, they're going to seek out people who will validate their feelings. So. Yeah, absolutely. There, there, the link to uh, several articles will be in the show notes. Uh, so you can read a little bit more about all of these things, but uh, you know, raising teenagers is a very difficult and challenging thing. So, um, you know, proceed with caution, uh, as we said at the beginning. So, all right. Well, that is it for today. Okay. Until next next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and forget to be afraid.